Well, we continue this morning into our series on directions, and these are the values. These are the pieces that help us um, find at Southeast where we're going and what we're doing. Um, I've talked a lot about our 10-year anniversary, and so if you're new with us today, we are entering a time in this October that we have entered the time of celebrating our 10-year anniversary, and so as a church. So we've had 10 years of ministry, 10 years of being a church community, 10 years of all these different experiences, and as we look back on it, we see all these different seasons of church life, and we recognize as we come into this new season, as everybody does, that we enter this uh, new normal, as people talk about, that we come into a new season here today. Now, what happens when you enter an anniversary or a time where you have a number followed by a zero, some kind of celebration, whether it's a wedding anniversary or a birthday or a church anniversary, you begin to look back and you think on those first few years and you ask yourself, are we still the same church today or am I the same person? What has changed about our culture and our context? What is different about where we are today than where we were back then? And a lot of things begin to change around us. The questions that people are asking look different today than they look back back then. The way that we do things look, looks different today than how it looked like how we did it back then. But the thing that we begin to hold on to are those things that help us to navigate through that, are, but that are the same things that helped us to navigate back then. And that is our values. That is our directions. That is the things that guide us as individuals and as a community. And so we're looking at those over the next few weeks. And we began that on our anniversary Sunday, and this is really five weeks of looking at those different directions. Now, Jill had that on the screen here in a second, and it's wanting to bounce back full, um, but we'll figure this out. But you can see the different directions here, and we've talked about a couple of those over the past um, couple of weeks, and now we're into our third one, which is our contribute value. And to do that, I want to look at a passage. We find it in Luke chapter 18, and it begins like this. It says, A certain ruler asked Jesus, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, we have probably all asked this question in one way or another. We all wonder, what is after this life and how do we get there? That may be the easiest way to think about it. How, what, what comes after this? What, what takes place after this? And how do I get there? And how do I get to the most pleasant reality after this life? That may be the way that we think about it. Maybe we've asked it like that. Maybe that's somehow how we've gotten to that place. But I want us to see something here because this is so significant because how Jesus answers this question shows us more about our present life than what we typically think of when we hear the words eternal life. So it's easy when we look at this passage to get caught up in this question, what must I do to, to have eternal life, to inherit eternal life? And we begin to think about afterlife, we begin to think of post-life, we begin to think of after this present reality. But Jesus answers this man's question in such a way that it causes us more to think about this present life. And that is significant for us today to understand what's happening in this story. Now, the reason that Jesus answers this question this way, the, the, the reason that his answer looks so different is because the man isn't asking about somewhere you go after you die. So we have to almost come into with a fresh perspective, recognizing when this man says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He's not saying, what happens after I die? And I know that sounds strange to us, 
But when we begin to, to look at the passage, we begin to see the original context that's taking place here, he's really asking a very different question. And what he's really asking Jesus in different words is, Jesus, what do I have to do to experience the reality of truly being alive? What does it look like for me to experience the fullness of life? Now, the reason that we can look at this and understand this is that the word eternal comes from a root for the word ages. Now, in the world that day, people spoke of this idea, and I don't think, we we don't really talk like this nearly as much in in our context, but they talked about things as as a a sense of different ages. So, So there was this age and this age and this age to come. And so that was very much this reality that was taking place. There's this age and then the age to come. So we have this time, this age, this age, and the age to come. The age to come could be described like this. It was when all injustice, all pain, and all the hurt of this world would end. So people in that day spoke of and dreamed of a day when God would bring about this new age, this new age when there was no injustice, this new age when there was no pain, this new age when there was no hurt. And so it wasn't as much of a place that was being talked about, but but more of a promise that this man believed was on the horizon, and he didn't want to miss it. He wanted to participate in it. Jesus was talking about this. He was going around and saying, hey, this age to come that you've heard about, this age to come that we've been excited about, this age to come that people see on the horizon, Jesus then begins to say that age is now breaking into this present reality. That age is breaking into this world. And he's saying, I want to show you how you can participate in that age to come that is now breaking into this world. And this man hears this and naturally he asks Jesus, well, how do I participate? How can I inherit this age to come? How can I experience life in the age to come today? So, Jesus had been going around and teaching this, proclaiming that age, the time of God's rule and reign, breaking into this world. Jesus instructed his disciples to pray. We've talked about this, that God's will would be done on earth as it is in heaven, that we would pray, that we would participate in the inbreaking of his kingdom, in the inbreaking at that age to come into this world, that that life is here and now. So that man is listening to Jesus. He finally spoke up. He says, how do I participate? How do I participate in the age to come? Not some day, but right now. And guys, what would happen if we had that kind of passion? What if we saw the the way of Jesus in that way? Not as some kind of ticket, not as some kind of, of, of path that we just kind of trod down, but seeing it as this invitation to participate, not someday, but right now in the reality of heaven, here in this place. So Jesus told him what it was going to take. And I want us to listen to this. Because what happened? What would happen if we believed this? What would happen if we participated in this way? How would our world change and what would things look like? So I want you to see how Jesus answered them and how the man responded. Jesus responds, Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, No one is good except God alone. Then he goes on, he says, you know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. 
Now, what Jesus says here is really fascinating because in this conversation, Jesus listed part of the Ten Commandments that have to do with how we relate to others around us. So he says these things, you shall not commit adultery. For that, that's one of the Ten Commandments. You shall not murder, shall not steal, shall not give false testimony. So he, he talks about this idea of you, how you do this is how you relate to one. You know, the, you know these commands, you know these ideas, you know these commands of how you're relating to other people. And so he says, you know, here's the first part of the Ten Commandments that help us understand in our relationship to God. But Jesus automatically goes into this. You know these commandments about how you relate to one another. But what's fascinating is that Jesus left out one. He gives all these different commandments here, but he leaves out one because it's the one that this man has the biggest struggle with in his life. And the commandment that he left out is the commandment about coveting. And coveting is related to greed. It's all about wanting stuff that other people have because you're not satisfied with what you have, which then in turn impacts how you see and treat others around you. So look, I want you to see this again, that he's, he's saying, here's this reality. Here's how we treat other people. You know these commands. And then Jesus leaves out this last one, the biggest struggle that this man has, which is his greed which is his coveting, which is saying, I don't have enough. And that commandment, that commandment is going to have the biggest impact because it means that this man will struggle to treat others around him the way that God wants him to treat others. Now, what's fascinating is that the man appears to not see what Jesus was doing under here. He understood that Jesus was listing the commandments. He saw that part. But it seems like he didn't realize that Jesus skipped the one about coveting and greed. And so I think that he was so caught up in the reality of his sin that he led himself to believe that he didn't even have a problem until Jesus pointed out the problem. And we see this taking place in the next set of verses. The man says, well, all these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one Thing. And I wonder, you know, does the guy kind of sit there and go, one thing, one thing. He forgot the command that he's most struggling with. And Jesus says, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When the man heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Now, this is a really fascinating story. Because the story ends without redemption. And that seems really odd for us. We expect the man to come back to Jesus. We expect him to come back and choose Jesus. But instead what we see is that the man chooses his wealth over participating in God's plans. And the reality is that we all have that choice. We all have the choice to say, I'm going to choose my kingdom, my stuff, over the reality of what God is doing in this world. Now, I want you to see, as the man walked away, how Jesus responded. Jesus looked at him and said, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. And I almost imagine Jesus talking about that as that man is walking away. You can almost hear his voice enter this place of sadness. How hard it is. 
you can see the disciples kind of looking and wondering and thinking and processing that. I want us to see this here. I want us to catch this. Because the purpose isn't just to get to heaven someday. That's where we started with this message this morning, recognizing that the man's question was saying, hey, the purpose isn't, get to, isn't just to get to heaven someday. It is that heaven would be a part of our lives today. True life is not defined by simply living or even living well. What we see is that God has something more profound and richer in mind for this man and us in this life in the here and now. It's about living a life where the stuff we have, don't have, or want to have doesn't get in the way of the incredible plan that God has for our lives right now. Now let me say that again before we close up this morning. It's not about the goal of life. The direction that we want to go in life is not supposed to be about the stuff we have, don't have, or want to have. And we don't want that to get in the way of the incredible plan that God has for our lives and for this world, which is the point of this life. If we turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6, we see the Apostle Paul. He begins to, to bring this out a little bit further for us and help us to understand it. He says to Timothy, his protege, he says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Now, before I go on, it's important to say this this morning, because as I read this passage, as I've taught this passage before, as I was sitting down and writing the message this week, I, I wanted to remember for myself and for all of us that the word rich is a moving target. It, it's easy for us to look at the billionaires in this world and I think all of us do that today. We look at these billionaires that are, you know, riding on, on ships into space, that they're, you know, doing all of these things, the cars that they have. Jill and I were downtown last week, and there were, there were these incredible Italian exotic cars that were downtown that sell for like $3 million a piece, right? And I'm in complete awe of these vehicles, knowing the reality, I'll never get to drive one of these. I'll never own one of these cars. And it's easy to think about the rich in terms of the people who can afford that car. It's easy to think of the person who can look at space as a hotel that they can go visit one day. It's easy for us to think of the rich that way, but rich is a moving target. We can think about people who are rich and you and I can say, well, well I'm not. It's easy to do that without even having to look at billionaires or millionaires because of the comparison trap. See, that trap happens when we look at social media and our friends. I say, I wish I had a house like that. I wish I had a car like that. I wish I took vacations like that. And this highlight reel that we have gets us in so much trouble and leads us to a false sense about our actual wealth. So we look at billionaires. We look at millionaires. We look at our friends. We look at the person who just bought a brand new car. They put it in their driveway. We look at the person who just got a new house. And, and we say to ourselves, man, I wish I could live like that. And we compare ourselves to all of these other highlight reels. And what happens is we don't even realize the actual wealth that we have as people. But if we check that reality, if we check our reality, it will do a lot to help us with what we do have, what we don't have, and what we do with what we do have. So let's check that reality this morning. The median worldwide income. 
is $2,000 per year. Let's let that settle in for a second. The, the median worldwide income is $2,000 per year. According to the latest uh, census data, the median household income in America is more than 30 times that number. That's the median. So I know you don't feel rich. I don't feel rich when I play the comparison trap. But if we look at the world, you and I have resources that the world will never be able to utilize. I want you to say with me, we are rich. And to the rich, to us, to those with those kind of resources, Paul said these words, command them. He's commanding us, do good. To be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, you will lay up treasure for, for, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for, listen to this, for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. So Paul says to participate in the age to come, to not be like this man who walks sadly away, but to recognize and see that I can take part in this. You and I can take a part of this. We can take hold of the life that is truly life. If we would be rich in good deeds, be generous, be willing to share, be willing to utilize those resources for more than just ourselves, but for the good of those around us. So if we want to experience real life, we have to make a choice. On one side, we have the kingdom that we build. And the other side is the kingdom that God wants us to participate in. It's really easy to take all of our pieces and go over here and continue to build our kingdom and see what we did. But what God is inviting us to do is not to see that. To, 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 to remove our kingdom from this equation and say, I'm all in on God's kingdom. Our need for more and more stuff is stopping us from experiencing full participation. It's stopping us from experiencing full participation in the kingdom of God that we've been invited into. And listen again what that kingdom is. It's a place where there is no injustice. A place where there's no pain. A place where there is no suffering. And it's easy to look and say, man, if those billionaires would just do this, if those millionaires would just do this, and I, I totally agree. Could we end world hunger? Yes, we actually could. could. Could we invest those resources into finding cures for all kinds of suffering in this world? Absolutely, we could. But it's so easy to look and say, well, somebody else should do it when the reality is that God is telling us that you and I should be doing this. We should be participating. And the way that we break that cycle of needing more and more and more, the way we break that cycle from us making it all about ourselves is with felt generosity. And felt generosity means that I actually feel that I'm giving. And I don't mean just money, I mean time, I mean resources, I mean really feeling like I'm participating and making an impact and difference. So you and I weren't created to consume just resource, or weren't created to just consume resources. You weren't created just to eat and breathe and take up space. God designed you to make a difference with your life. 
Everyone was made to contribute to what God is doing in this world. And at Southeast, that kind of felt generosity is what we call our contribute direction. See, our values realign us. The values that I was talking about earlier realign us. And so far, we've looked at our connect value that realigns our focus on God. We've looked at our compel value that realigns our focus into relationship with others. And then we come to this contribute value, which also realigns our lives if we would allow it. I wrote this down in my notes to close up this morning. If we live in a place of only worrying about our own stuff, we point the arrow back on ourselves, focusing ourselves for our resources for our own gain. And that is the easy thing to do. It's what our culture teaches us to do. Or we can see what Jesus taught this man in our story, what Paul tells Timothy in this letter, which is this. Everything you have in your life has been given to you and should be used for something bigger than you could ever imagine. What if we stopped living life that was simply focused on ourselves and began to live as people who focused on this direction going outward into this world? Let's pray together. God, we are so thankful this morning God, that you have shown us this reality. What it means to contribute, be a part of this world. Not just focusing on ourselves, but realigning, changing direction. Seeing the good that you want to do in this world and participating in that. It's your name that we pray. Amen. Hey, as we close up this morning, our contribute value teaches us to look beyond our own story as individuals. So we do that with our time, we do that with our resources, we do that with our finances. At Southeast, we teach tithing, which is giving 10% of what you earn back to what God is doing through the church. Now, you'll find more about tithing on our website. If you go to wearesoutheast.org, uh, you'll find our giving page there. Um, and I think one of... But I think one of the best ways, rather than just reading our giving page and rather than you just going there and seeing about giving, I think one of the best ways that we teach is by doing. That's why every dollar given to Southeast, 10% of every dollar is then given as a tithe to our local and global impact in our community. Part of that tithe then goes to the partners that we support, partners who have been um, around with us for a long time that we trust that are making an impact and a difference in this community, in this world. So we as a church, what I want you to hear is tithe on our tithes. So as a church, we're asking you to do something that we're doing because it's not just about us at Southeast. It's about making an impact and a difference in this world. You'll find a list of our local and global impact partners on our website if you scroll down. You'll see a place there that talks about how 10% is given um, to support ministries all around our world. But one of those ministries that I love that has been a part of Southeast from the very beginning, as we celebrate our 10-year anniversary, I think about that this organization was, was there at the beginning as well, is Allies. And our friend who is the founder, executive director of Allies, Jessica Evans, she is here today to tell us more about Allies, their story, how we uh, partner with them, the impact they're making, and how we can participate in what they are doing. So I'm going to invite her here. We have not had a guest uh, at Southeast like this before, so this is a little bit different. So I'm going to go back here and hang out. Uh, so there is a person for her to talk to besides just the Lego people. 
but I am stoked that she is here with us today, uh, and she is going to tell us more about allies and what our partnership means, how we can get involved as a church, and then how you as individuals can contribute and be a part of the great things that they are doing. So guys, welcome Jessica. I truly am grateful for um, the family here at Southeast Project Church. Um, we have, um, like Ryan said, been engaging with you as a church community um, for years, and we have always felt very supported and loved and affirmed in our calling um, by you as, as a church. And so I always um, love the opportunity to come um, get in front of you and share just about how God is moving and what we're doing and how you can be involved um, continually. So we, as an organization, are celebrating 11 years um, as a nonprofit this year, which is really fun. Um, it has definitely um, felt like we are uh, maturing into, uh, you know, formerly grassroots, really um startup kind of organization and are maturing into, you know, this teenager kind of organization now. Um, and so it's really neat to see that change and how we're morphing and how we're deepening and refining our focus. Um, and so I'm excited to share that with you today. Um, as I was preparing for this morning, um, I uh, came across a verse that is not traditionally used when talking about trafficking and exploitation, um, but I wanted to share it with you um, because I felt like the Lord kind of unpacked some things for me that were really interesting in it. And so um, we're going to start there um, this morning. Um, it's in Isaiah, Isaiah 49, um, verses 13 through 16. <clears throat> Shout for joy, O heavens, rejoice, O earth, burst into song, O mountains, for the Lord comforts his people and will have compassion on his afflicted ones. But Zion said, The Lord has forsaken me, the Lord has forgotten me. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands." makes me emotional just reading that this morning because I feel like um, as I was reading that this morning, um, one of some of the conversations that we've been having around allies is around, you know, what what is it that we're doing? Why are we existing? What's what really what real impact are we making? And I feel like the real impact that we're making is we are helping survivors of trafficking felt seen and known and valued and um, worthy of God's love and dignity. Um, in a world that has exploited them, forgotten about them, mistreated them, pushed them to the side, um, we have the opportunity to not only see them, but walk alongside them in friendship and mentorship, providing resources when literally no one else is. Um, so let me backtrack just a minute. So uh, allies, our, our mission is to empower survivors of trafficking um, youth survivors of trafficking and sexual exploitation, really through mentorship and family support. Uh, we serve um, females who are ages 12 to 24 who have been um, trafficked or sexually exploited here in our city. So a lot of times when we think about trafficking or we hear that word, um, we think about things that are happening overseas. We think about people that are, are you know, smuggled or trafficked into the United States. Um, but at Allies, we're really serving um, teenage girls who are from here. They're from Indiana, they're from Indianapolis, and our reach is really 
Marion and surrounding counties. So that's who we're reaching. Um, right now in our mentorship program, we have about 25 girls who are survivors that are paired with mentors that have you know been walking together. And that is just the tip of the iceberg. Um, and we feel like it's an honor to take those few and really go deep and long with them. Um, our goal is not to serve 500 girls a year. It really isn't. We could, um, but our goal is to take the, the, the girls that have been entrusted to us by the Lord and to go deep and long with them. And so you'll never see our numbers reach in the hundreds, probably. Um, but what we, what we desire to do is really love these girls really well that we're with. And so... Um, you know, our vision for them, for their life, is to see them flourish and impact generations. Um, because we we know that, um, you know, if someone is exploited and trafficked um, right now, um, you typically their, their circle of influence and support is broken. Um, and so moving forward, all they have is brokenness to bring to the next generation. But we really believe that by providing them with resources and relationships that are healthy and healing, that can change generations. And we've seen, we actually just had a baby boom, we call it, um, in our mentorship program. We had three or four um, mentees that had babies last year. And it is remarkable, you know, we were able to provide the baby showers. We were able to, you know, provide them with diapers and um, even some babysitting and, and different resources. And we know that the lives of their children are going to be different because of allies um, than if they didn't have us. And so we, we already are seeing it impact generations, which is really amazing. Um, so, you know, it, in that Isaiah passage, passage um, it says, the Lord comforts his people and will have compassion on the afflicted ones. Um, and we really feel like we do get to provide comfort and compassion for the girls that we serve. We say a lot um, that trauma that happens through relationship must be healed through relationship. And, you know, one of the things that we've found is 98, 99% of the girls that are trafficked, it happens through someone that they know, um, whether it's a friend, a family member, a parent, um, a neighbor, someone that they met online, a boyfriend, it's someone that they know who gained their trust. They felt like they could um, be vulnerable with and trust, and that person exploited them. So you can imagine, of course, um, after being trafficked, there are a lot of physical, tangible resources you need, but think about entering into another relationship and trying to trust someone after you've been taken advantage of in that way, let alone the physical and sexual trauma that's happened. Their emotional, their, the way for them to connect with people and, and, and have healthy relationships has also been broken. And so we really feel like in order for them to have true healing and move forward, they've got to learn what it means to be in a healthy relationship. And that's messy, but it is a high call that we have to be able to offer that to them. Um, and the other piece of that that really stuck out to me this morning was that um, it talks about, can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child? Though she may forget, I will not forget. Um, and I'm here to tell you that there have been mothers that have trafficked their children that we've worked with. Um, the vast majority of the girls in our mentorship program have no one. They have no family, no friends that are healthy. There are people in their lives, but they're not healthy relationships. They're the people that have broken their trust and, and abused them and exploited them. And so for them to have no one, to be in the foster care system, bouncing from placement to placement, to be in residential facility that feels like it's being locked up, um, even if it might be for their best interest and place where they can receive therapy and counseling and you know case management, 
Um, it's not a home and it's not healthy relationships. And so, um, we are the people then that can say, we've not forgotten you. We see you, um, a really special moment that happened, um, just this, this week, we have a job training program for our our mentees and, um, it was the last week they committed to 15 weeks of going through job training. Um, we met with them every week for a couple hours. They also had an internship with another um, local um, friend of ours called the Blue Butterfly. And um, at the end, we were able to give them these beautiful necklaces. Um, they're actually Noonday. If you're familiar with Noonday, the, the organization, it's a necklace made by trafficking survivors in Asia. Um, and it says known and loved. And we've been kind of holding on to these necklaces. We've had them for a while to give to these girls when they graduate the job training program. And so... Um, Wednesday, we had our, or Thursday, excuse me, we had our last group and we um, gifted them these necklaces and a little note to go along with it. And one of the girls, when she opened it, just immediately started crying. And she said, this is a place where I have felt seen. There's no other place where I feel seen. And that I felt is just so remarkable that And she actually is one of the anomalies that lives with her parents. She actually is not a foster care kid. She's living with her parents. She was trafficked. But for her to say that this is the place where she does feel seen um, and to know that she's important and then she's a valuable part of our community was was really amazing. Uh, Another one of the girls who um, has been a foster care kid has been bounced around. And when she turned 18, decided, I'm done with the system. I'm moving in with boyfriend. So here she is living with boyfriend. Who knows if it's a really great situation, but we're walking with her and she committed to this program um, and she hasn't really shared a whole lot. She hasn't opened up a whole lot, but she's been there and she's quietly put in the work and she opened up her necklace and I was kind of chatting with someone over here and she walked up behind me and she said, Miss Jess, will you put my necklace on me? And so I turned around and I got to clasp the necklace on her and she gave me the biggest hug, which she's never hugged me before. Um, in that moment, I knew that there was some trust that had been built over these 15 weeks with her, that I was someone now, another person in her life. She's got a mentor. She's got some staff that she knows. Now I got to be another person in her life that she trusts and that she knows I've seen her and I value her. Um, and she actually texted me the next day. She uh, was applying for a job and wanted to put me on her resume. And I thought, wow, A, she's got a resume. (laughs) How cool is that? But B, I get to be a reference on her resume. And so I hope they call me. I hope I get to share about her. But, um, you know, think about the, if some, if some big traumatic event happened in your life, um, who would you call? You could probably list off in your head right now, five, six people, your family, your church family, you're here, your neighbors, your friends, your coworkers that you could call, um, if you, you know, think about these, these teenage girls that we're working with have had the most traumatic thing happen to them and don't have anybody. And so think about, you know, of course we know, you know, when trauma happens, there's a lot of things that psychologically and physically happen to you. You know, walls go up and you don't, you're in self-preservation mode, you're in survival mode. Um, and so get to getting, getting to be the, the people that walk with them and help them is, is an honor and it is a key piece to their healing. Um, so we, we are not forgetting them. And the last part, um, that stuck out to me was, see, I have engraved you on the palms of my hand. Um, and, and God is not forgetting them either. Um, we recently had, uh, one of our mentees pass away by homicide it was in the news, um, and uh, we were talking with her mentor and our mentor coach, and the mentor was like, there's no funeral service for her. 
no one's putting together really a memorial besides a f- you know a few things on Facebook. Um, and so we're we're in the process of figuring out how to remember her and how to um, leave a legacy for her um, so that she, even in death, can be remembered. Um, and God remembers her. He created her in his own image. It's so easy to think of um, to put these girls in a box along even with their perpetrators as, you know, runaways. And a lot of them have drug addiction and they've got mental health issues. And it's so easy to keep them at arm's length. But when you have proximity with them and you see that they were created in God's image and that God has put his thumbprint and his, you know, his image upon them, um, it, it compels you to, to move forward and, and to continue to be with them. So, um, and even and even if the the path forward for them looks different than what we want for them, um, we are still here. A lot of times we push our agenda on them. You gotta gotta get through school. You gotta get to college. You gotta have you know a career. You gotta get those bad influences out of your life. And of course that's what we want for them because that's what we think is good for them. Um, they might have a different different you know path ahead of them. They might think that flourishing is just literally not being in a life of sexual exploitation, and that's okay. Um, and that's what we're here to do with them. So when you support allies, that that's the kind of impact that you get to make. Um, there are lots of different ways to get involved. What what we are kind of saying that we're doing is we are we're we're building a community to invest in these girls and their flourishing. So whether that means you're part of investing your time as a mentor, your time as a volunteer, whether you're donating your resources, where you're literally helping us, you know finance our programs and fund salaries because a lot of what we do is relationship you know we look at our budget we try to apply for grants and have different funding opportunities and people say man your budget is really staff heavy that's because what we do is relationship we are walking with them in relationship we're not um giving you know we don't have a need for a lot of things we we are time is what we're giving and so we do have a lot of needs in that area um and we're building a safer community. So by you investing even just in time learning about what we're doing and having a correct understanding of what trafficking is and what the solution is, we're building a safer community for them to be in, one that's trauma-informed and understands you know, that they might need some extra care and that they might um, need just kind of a leg up and some more social capital than the next person. Um, a couple of really exciting things I wanted to share with you. How much time do I have? Okay, um, a couple exciting things I wanted to share with you that we have going on at Allies. Um, one is that um, we have two really main programs that are really unique to us um, and that we have a unique solution for. And one is our mentorship program, which I've talked a lot about. The other is our parent and guardian um, program called Thrive. And what we've done is we've created, there was a need, the Department of Child Services said to, uh, to Allies, they said, hey, we really have a need to help parents and caregivers, whether that's mom, dad, grandpa, foster, whoever it is that is the guardianship over these young ladies. We need some support and education for them because often um, after the trafficking situation happens, they're removed from home. They're usually put in residential for a while. Um, and there's a need for parents and guardians to kind of have an understanding of what has happened to them and how to build a safe home environment um, to help that young lady to flourish. So we created a program called Thrive. It's an eight to 10 week program. And we've seen a lot of success with it with the families that have gone through it with us. And so um, one of the things that we're doing that we're really excited about is we have now um, 
completed this curriculum and we are training other organizations and how to use this program literally all across the United States so that they can then support families and um, help create safer home environments for the mentees that they serve as well for the young young people that they serve as well. Um, so not only do we have that program that we're doing that with, but this past year we've been working really hard on packaging our mentorship program as well. Because what we've found is other parts of Indiana, other organizations that we've connected with over the United States <clears throat> have said, hey, you know, we've got our big brothers, big sisters. We've got our traditional mentoring services, but not one that's uniquely tailored for this population because there is a really unique need and a unique way to go about mentoring trafficked youth. And so we have packaged our mentorship program <clears throat> and we've piloted now with two other organizations out of state to train them in our best practices, to train them in how we kind of run our mentorship program so that allies is not spreading all over indiana but we are empowering other organizations to then help the same population so we've piloted it um this program twice uh, once with an organization in kentucky once in pennsylvania and so this is kind of the next phase for us we um we honestly have been kind of seen as experts in this very niche field of mentoring um teenage girls who have been trafficked very niche but it's important um, because we have really seen that mentoring is kind of the missing piece in a lot of places there's therapy there's counseling there's case management there's housing there's a lot of different um, support systems but mentoring is kind of the one that lasts through all of it and kind of helps you know helps them move forward in a way that other services can't so we're very, very excited about this initiative. We're calling Amplify, AMP being Allies Mentorship Program. We wanna amplify, right? Isn't that nice? Um, so our Amplify program is now um, helping other organizations do what we do. Um, and so we're really thrilled to be able to provide that. Um, lastly, I wanted to share, if you want to get to know more about allies, what we're doing in our impact, we have a podcast now, which is really fun. I never thought I'd be a podcaster. Ryan is laughing because he probably thinks the same thing, but we uh, we have a podcast. I think we've got about eight or 10 episodes out now, but um, we are kind of breaking down first just what is trafficking? What does it look like here? Um, what are some stories? We've got some mentors on the podcast sharing their experience, and we're also sharing a little bit about our culture at Allies and our leadership style and why it's a special place to work and be. Um, and so um, I would really encourage you if you're interested in learning more about us to tune into our podcast. Um, we just started planning kind of for next year and we're really excited about some of the things that we're going to be able to bring you in the coming year too. So be sure to um, check that out. Um, and we have um, this fall, sorry, I got distracted by a noise. I'm not used to that. Um, we have this fall uh, a fundraising campaign that's going on. So I'm going to shamelessly just ask for you to consider supporting allies. Um, we're, we're calling it the ripple effect because we really believe um, every $25, every $50, every drop really does make a ripple effect. Every donation, every hour spent, every prayer lifted up for us really does make an impact. And so um, we are just challenging all of our supporters and people who love us to um, put a drop in the in the water and see the ripple effect that it makes. Um, and uh, we look forward to partnering with you guys uh, and continuing to partner with you guys at Southeast. We just, we appreciate, especially the church getting behind what we're doing because we really believe it's a call from the Lord to support these girls. And so um, your support, particularly um, from the faith community is really meaningful to us. So. Uh, guys, it has been a great day to hear about allies, to continue to think about the directions and the places that we're going, the values that we hold as a church. 
Let's read our blessing and our benediction. I think wraps all of that together and helps remind us who we are and what we're doing. Let's read this together. God, you have taught us to keep all your commandments by loving you and our neighbor. Grant us the grace of your Holy Spirit that we may be devoted to you with our whole heart and united to one another with pure affection through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen.